0: Hello, and welcome to the Fuck It Diet Podcast. My name is Caroline Dooner, and can you tell that I have completely given up on music for this podcast? I just, I'm like, that's a step I just don't even feel like dealing with, because I edit my own podcast, and I shouldn't, I really shouldn't, I should be outsourcing the editing and production of my podcast to someone else, because it takes so much time, but at the same time, I... I don't know how to outsource that because I feel like I want to be in control of what stays in. I don't know. I'm going to have to figure this out. Maybe one day I will, but for now, no, and no music because it's just one step too many. Today I'm sharing my conversation with Sonali Rishatwar, also known as the fat sex therapist on Instagram. Highly recommend you follow her and we're just going to get right into it and i will come back afterwards to chat a little bit with you about what's going on in my quarantine but i also wanted to let you know that we recorded this before the lockdown so it was when coronavirus was i I think we recorded it mid-march or maybe like the first or second week of march so coronavirus was definitely something that was looming it was something that everyone was talking about. We were being encouraged to self quarantine if we thought we'd been in contact with it and social distance, but we hadn't had, like, people were still working. Um, businesses were still open. So when you hear us referring to her being in the office and everything, that is why. But I really, I really hope that you enjoy my conversation with Sonali. Um, she is a really wonderful storyteller, and I, I primarily wanted to hear her talk about her own personal experience and how she came to the perspective that she has on bodies and autonomy. Um, she's really wise. She has amazing posts. She has a lot of knowledge to share that um, that goes beyond just her own story, but uh, I hope that you enjoy our conversation. It's a long one, and uh, I will talk to you after the conversation is over enjoy i like always in my head imagine that your name is pronounced sonali which is right right oh
1: my god that is the right way thanks for seeing yeah, it me. <laughs>
0: I thought that was the right way. And then I, but I was going to ask you just to make sure. And then I just went to your page because I wanted to pull up some posts that I really love. (laughs) And you have it on there. And I was like, oh my
1: God, I
0: was right. But maybe, just maybe, I was right because I read that a long time ago. And it, like, Uh, who knows?
1: I'm glad it sunk in because I am. Constantly wondering if that is actually the phonetic spelling. I'm wondering so. if I should do C I M like cinnamon. Sometimes I wonder what do people say. I think so. I don't know if people, what are people also saying? realize.
0: Like, what are they calling you?
1: I don't even want to say the wrong one because then I don't want to mix. Oh, okay, okay,
0: okay, okay.
1: <laughs> okay, are they doing like O? They're doing like a O, and I mean, my mom is a Southerner, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. She grew up in the South, and she did want it to be pronounced Sona Lee, and I detest that. I just heard someone walk in. I'm just going to be one second, Carolyn.
0: Okay, yeah. I'm
1: so sorry.
0: Don't worry for a second. This is the story of my life. I'm literally recording this right next to my front door, (laughs) because it's the only space I have in my tiny Hobbit house.
1: So I get it. I'm intimately familiar with what your home looks like from (laughs) your Instagram stories. Uh,
0: It's really, I mean, like if it was all spread out, it would be like a fine, like kind of, you know, fine sized one bedroom, right? But it's Mm -hmm. stacked, I mean, you know, Philly, it's stacked on top of itself, like a strange tower.
1: And so every,
0: (laughs) it's almost like it's just a tower and like every room is like a small landing. (laughs) <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, it works fine,
1: but it's just it does work for you. I would have broken all of my toes by now. I can't now.
0: believe that I haven't like seriously <laughs> broken my tailbone. I know this. you like, and Molly both. I know. She does sometimes slip, and I see like her eyes <gasps> wide and like, oh, my oh god. Um, but I have these like I have railings. Like I they were installed when I bought it, but they're literally like I hold on, especially in the middle of the night when I have to go down a whole twisty flight of stairs to pee. I like hold on for dear life. And like, I have a whole method because I did fall once. Oh my God. I know. But you know, it's one of those things where (laughs) I have muscle memory now and I have like my guard up at all times. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, are you Can't at home afford not to? I know exactly. Are but, you at home? or Are you at the office?
1: I'm sitting here at the office and we, the front door is just unlocked because clients will come in throughout the day. Um, called and went home for the day, but sometimes we do have folks who just like walk in and we'll ask like, Hey, do you have any coffee on? And, um, today we don't. And so I was like, sorry, no, there's no coffee, but have a good day. <laughs> is it in West Philly? Yeah, we're in University City at 38th and Lancaster. So it's right around like 10 Drexel area. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, let's just get right into it then. Um, let's because do it. I am recording and I let's just start off by talking about who you are and,
1: and what you do for everyone who's listening. <laughs> Lovely to meet everyone who's listening. My name is Sonali Rashatwar. I use she and they pronouns. I am popularly known as the fat sex therapist on Instagram. Uh, I feel like it's important to name that I, I use she and they pronouns because I am non-binary and that is my gender identity. And so that means that I don't feel like I am a woman or a man or some kind of binary gender. Uh, I feel like something in between or neither or a mixture of a few things. Um, because people can't see me. And so sometimes with listening to a voice alone, we'll make assumptions or we'll gender the voice itself. But uh, right, we can't see gender. Gender isn't something that exists between someone's legs. It's something that exists sometimes between our ears. Like it's the way that we think or feel. Mm -hmm. Um, So I like to name that. Uh, As a sex therapist, I also live in Philadelphia, just like Carolyn. And am I saying your name right? It's Caroline, but I answer. Caroline. I'm
0: just used to people thinking it's either Carolyn or Caroline, and I just sort of surrender. <laughs>
1: well, see, I want to say your name right. You took the time to say mine right. <laughs> and that means a lot to me. I have a lot of trauma around my name. Oh, yeah. I'm very sensitive to nicknames, also. Like, I don't like nicknames. And folks in my life have often. Ascribed nicknames to me without really asking if I want one or like the one that they've yeah. chosen. That's so, I mean, that's identity
0: too, right? That's someone giving you yes. an identity that you don't necessarily want.
1: Yes. Someone will have shortened my name and will ask, Hey, can I just call you S? And I'll say, No. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Thanks for asking, no. <laughs> Wow. It's Sonali. Sonali, 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 Sonali. That's what I thought. <laughs> it's so
0: interesting um that you were talking about how your mom is from the South and and wanted it to be pronounced a different way. That sort of it makes it sound like this like very, yeah, very Americanized like country name that you, like a Mary <laughs> Lee, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Fascinating. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she wanted it to be Americanized in its own Southern way. Right. My mom, my parents have really different migration stories. They met here in the US, but they have really different migration stories of how they got to the US because they come from different castes. Mm. So my dad's lower caste and my mom's upper caste. So my mom came here and grew up in the US like through the late 60s, 70s. Um, and her family has always lived in the South. Places like South Carolina, Alabama, Kentucky, and for and right now, my parent, my grandparents still live in South Carolina, and so I felt like it was a blessing having a mom who was a little more Americanized because I think I got a lot more leniency on things like talking to boys or going to prom or um, having friends. And, and staying out on weekends and going to sweet 16s and throwing parties and I think right. even premarital sex. Like, right. the, I feel like there are lots of things like that where I just had a lot more room to breathe because my mom grew up here.
0: Right. Oh, honestly, it's so fascinating to just look at, I mean, I think about this a lot. Like, oh, how did the way we were raised, like, how did those things affect the way that we think of ourselves and treat ourselves and like all of the ways that we respond to the world around us. Like it's so, yeah. it's all there.
1: Like you can oh, find I'm it kidding. all by going
0: back, you know?
1: Absolutely. My mom grew up here in the US in the 70s, right? So you think mm-hmm. of that time like um this is like the the rise of uh I mean in the 80s, like jazzercise aerobics, think of Bonda. Right. You right. think of the 70s, you think of supermodels like Twiggy. Um, yes. my mom grew up in the South where there were lots of, um, beauty pageants and, and coming out parties, um, for, le- for young debutantes. And so my mom, uh, and her, and her sisters, cause they're, they're three, she's one of three sisters and then they have an older brother. And so of the three sisters and they're all like stunning women, like mm. just beautiful women and, and by conventional standards. So that also means thin. Uh, that also means like fair skin uh, or or generally like light medium skin tone and uh, long uh, relatively straight thick hair and uh, conventionally like good quote unquote good skin clear quote unquote clear skin mm-hmm. and my mom and her sisters grew up uh, going to pageants they had a really different Class back then than they do now. And so they were struggling financially. They were a working class family uh, back in the 70s. They had a really hard time making it work as immigrants in in a new country. Uh, And so they would do all kinds of things to make money. (laughs) And all the siblings were working um, just to make ends meet. And uh, they would go and enter themselves into pageants. And so my mom has photos of like winning Harvest Queen and getting a photo with um oh that fucking trash can from south carolina i can't remember his name some elected official um oh wow i don't know something like that (laughs) bomb thurmond oh okay yes 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 (laughs) (laughs) she used a photo like that with him uh after winning a harvest queen pageant but yeah that that is the kind of space that my mom grew up in and my grandmother has also been very she's my grandmother now is a woman who's like in her 80s who is being by the miracles of big pharma is like still alive right, and right. she's on so much medication and i'm so thankful for big pharma for keeping her alive I know. and she's also someone who is still concerned with how much weight she gains or loses mine is too like very, very much in a way where I'm like,
0: like, I cannot believe that this is the conversation we're having right now.
1: Right. Like
0: Like I boring, so boring. So honestly, depressing. So telling, (laughs) right. Like how we fucking ended up the way we are with like, you know, everything
1: it's just, are we not? to curse i can't remember what the oh my god oh you're definitely i know there was
0: you were always allowed to curse but it was about like the actual text that i used which is so weird like why can it be one but not the other but now Mm -hmm. they seem lenient Mm -hmm. for everyone who doesn't know what i'm talking about (laughs) itunes (laughs) itunes like a couple years ago maybe two years ago just took down my podcast completely because it had uh curse words in like the in the text that describes oh. all of the, so it wasn't just the title, which was the fuck it diet with the asterisk. Mm-hmm. That was a problem apparently because it was a self bleeped curse word. I'm putting mm. in quotes. Um, but it, once I changed that, <laughs> they were like, no, you still have to go through every single blog post that's associated with a, with a, with an episode and edit out all of the curse words. And I was like, what the, what is happening right now? I honestly think they were trying to, do something or position something for like, because because iTunes and like Apple TV and like kids, like I feel like they were doing some weird extreme thing where they were trying to make everything like super clean for
1: kids. I don't really know, but it feels like it's also um, a lot of the sesta stuff that's around like criminalizing sex work. Yes. And that's what we see on all of our social media platforms where they're just trying to like sanitize out Sex work from social media, which fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and impacts us, right? Impacts us as folks who want to use curse words. Um, me, as someone who wants to put, wants to talk about sex, really yeah. like not in a totally clinical and sanitized way, but just in a human way. Yeah.
0: No, it's, it, it definitely is an example of that. And it was, it was just weird because it, they didn't like send out a notice. Not that I would expect this of them, especially at this point, but they didn't say like, Hey, we're changing our policy. Please in, in the next 30 days, please go through your feed and look out for these things or else it'll be taken down. It was just like gone. Yeah. And, and they, of course, they were unhelpful and didn't explain why and uh, whatever. Anyway. So yes, we can curse. That's the long <laughs> That is the long version of yes. We can curse. Thank God. Fantastic. Um, where were we? We're talking about grandmoms and uh, yeah, and weight. Grandmoms
1: and how sad it is that they still care about how much they weigh.
0: How much they weigh. Talking about yeah. my weight all the time. The oh, the God. like amount of times that I have had that I've heard her say, and even in the past ten years. Oh, Karen, she's from Ireland. Well, oh, Caroline, you look great. What what are you eating? Like, oh, okay. like going to like, so before it was the opposite before it was like, I heard the whispers of like, Oh, she's can weight. wait. Like when I was a teenager. Oh, no. Right. But then like, well, she's also senile, but, and, but I, but I really hear what she thinks when she's, senile. <laughs> you know, like I really know she does not oh, like. No. <laughs> um,
1: I do not have that kind of skin to be able to withstand that. I think the last time my grandmother said something about my weight. I must have been in my early twenties and it was a time I was visiting her in South Carolina. We were, I know distinctly, we were sitting on her couch before she got the new sofas that my uncle had ordered her and we're sitting on the couch and a lot of my cousins are sitting around us. They're sitting on the floor playing cards and she says to me like really casually in passing because someone had made her chai and she said to me something like, uh, Hey, sometimes losing weight is as simple as cutting sugar out of your tea and so I was like uh I don't even drink tea (laughs) so I don't know where from what I would cut sugar from and then I, I cried so I cried because I was like People t- tell me things like that all the time. People just mm-hmm. make assumptions about what I eat all the time and people will notice my body changing and, and growing and gaining weight and just um, give me unsolicited advice like this all the time. And so I had cried and some of my cousins like were comforting me and were like, oh my gosh, like it's okay. And she's never said anything since then. Thank God. <laughs> well, uh, that's... <laughs> That's like a little bit of awareness, right? Like that's oh, like that. that. Oh, oh, this hurts you. Okay. I'll stop.
0: Yeah. Well that, I mean, I guess that it's the tiny, teeny, tiny, tiny little things, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, so this is like, I mean, a perfect segue. I think what I really, what I want to hear and what I know that people who are listening would love to hear because I think it just helps us kind of see our own story too, and hearing other Mm -hmm. people's story. I would love to hear sort of your personal experience that inevitably and and eventually led you to the work that you do now and the perspective that you have on bodies and autonomy and identity. Um, And just, you know, where, whatever you, wherever you want to start, I think <laughs> works for me. I mean, we already started, right? We're talking about we
1: moms did. and
0: grandmoms, and that's really where it starts, right?
1: Yeah. And I feel like I have to preface this because my the way that I understand where I've come from shifts as I continue to grow and mm-hmm. understand my own narrative in in reflecting it um on the mirrors that other narratives provide me, right? So right. Um, right now I'm talking to you, this is, I'm just going to date it for the audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is March, 2020. I have just come back into dating and having casual sex again after like a five year break. And this is not something that I have like publicly discussed anywhere. So for anyone who's listening to this podcast, there's some tantalizing details I'm about to drop. Yes. Um, <laughs> I also relate. I also relate. You are exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> so in January, I started dating someone who is also non-binary. And they are also um, a super fat person like me, who was assigned female at birth. And in dating her, I have learned that a lot of my story and hers like, match up but a lot of ours are different. So, um, we just uh, had a date on Sunday night. We made this like delicious decadent macaroni and cheese. She's a trained chef. She's very talented. I'm very lucky to be dating. Someone Jealous.
0: Like that. That I, sounds
1: great.
0: Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we did the thing where we were like, we, we often, she's like such a sweet, Oh, she's like, it's like dating a cloud. You just want to like, keep a little bubble around it and hope that nothing ever harms it. And we were talking about our inner child, our younger selves. She's also been in therapy for a while and does a lot of self-reflection work. And so what we were talking about and she uses, she and they pronouns interchangeably like I do. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And they were showing me photos of their younger self, like teen self and they were fat still as a teen person and i say this because i often talk about my upbringing and think that the way that i grew up because i was because my parents were constantly telling me that my body was too big i think that i was also convinced that i was fat at that time Mm. but in seeing my sweetie's photos i had this like realization like wait a minute i was not fat as a kid Uh, I think that I was like a regular size per, I shouldn't say regular, but like (laughs) a street size person. Right. And I think for most of my teens, I was maybe a 14, 16, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: that's actually like below the average in the US. The average is about 18, 20, a size 18, 20. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about that, I think it, it, so I say this all because this has even this date on Sunday has shifted the way that I think about where I have come from in my like fat body journey because so much of my childhood, like I was first put on a non-consensual diet. I was first encouraged to restrict the amount of food that I was eating at ages eight, nine, and 10. Mm. I have like memories of my dad following me to the buffet table at a family gathering at like a a family uh, family friends' party,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and him making sure that he would accompany me to the table to watch what it was I was going to put on my plate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and i I must have been like ten at the most. And then him giving me a hand signal from across the room that was so to me made me feel like the most vile, like cr- criminal. Mm -hmm. And the hand signal was like telling me to communicate it like, hey, you need to put less food on your plate. Like I'm watching you and you're like breaking the law here. You're breaking this unspoken rule. And for most of my childhood, I was a pretty, I was like chubby. Sure. Mm -hmm. I was definitely larger than my younger sister, who's just a petite person in general. Um, She went more of my dad's side. I'm sorry. My sister went more of my mom's side. Mm But they're just petite, petite framed people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe I went more on my dad's side because I do look like some of the fat women in my dad's family. They're just fat people. Right. And that does make me think about how I was able to maintain so much resolve and like resistance. So my parents would put me on all these like diets. Like I, I have been to Jenny Craig, I had, um, my mom would take me to get different types of uh, Ayurvedic doctors to look Mm. at my body and I remember this one dude, we had to drive into New York City, I must have been like 16 or 17 um, because my mom was very impressed that I was able to drive into New York City unlike herself. (sighs) Um, And I'm a great driver because I'm from goddamn New Jersey. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so we're like trucking into New York city and, we, and we're waiting in line. We're sitting in this like cramped little, um, office because some dude had flown in from India and he's like this mystical guru. And you right. know, my grandfather told my mom that I must get an appointment here because my mom comes from an upper caste family. And so for upper caste people, it is incredibly important to maintain the ability to reproduce for women and retain caste lineage. Mm -hmm. And so there's like an immense pressure that exists on upper caste women that just exists because of brahminical patriarchy, this like Mm -hmm. strong pressure that like the upper class purity of your children should be maintained. And so, my grandfather was telling my mom to take me to this doctor. But I'm sorry, he was not a doctor. This like shaman. Right, right, right. right. And I know I'm really shitting on alternative medicine right now, but that's because this dude was like super fat phobic. Right. And yeah, yeah. the whole purpose of me going there was so that they could, you know, fix my amenorrhea because I had um, a non-existent period. Um, it was so irregular that I had to be on some kind of hormonal birth control. Um, they were really worried that I would not be able to get married to a straight man because I wouldn't be considered valuable because my period wasn't regular. And then if I wasn't able to have children, then I would be considered, again, like a barren wife and I would be invaluable to like a family that wanted to marry me because my reproductive capacity is like the most important thing. You know, God forbid I choose um, some other way to live my adult life. Right. Um, as being maybe not a reproducing person. This is
0: really, like, really, well, it's fascinating, <laughs> but I also, like, relate to it so much in so many ways. Oh. I mean, I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 14 mm-hmm. and put on diets to try and heal me, um, I was yep. not, not, and I became obsessed with it. Like I was like, I want to heal, but I, it's also so, um, they relate it to weight so much yeah. that I had this obsession with losing weight. I had this belief that if I became emaciated, basically like really, yeah. really skinny, cause I was already thin, but I didn't think I was mm-hmm. that I would heal myself. Now, what I was actually doing was not eating enough food and not getting a period. And it's really hard to tell what was causing what at this point, like even at this point. But I, my mother also took me to a million different people to try and heal me. I did a million different diets and I was all in, like I was obsessed. This was the beginning of my own personal obsession. But that extra pressure on what it means to be a woman, what it means to be, um, you know, to have this pressure on you as a teenager or as, as a child or as a teenager and kind of like even understanding the stakes of it then, but also wanting you know, not wanting to let people down, wanting to be oh yes, you know, acceptable and healthy and and having all the fear of like what it what does it mean if I, if I can't get this under control? Right. I just and I, that are valuable, yeah. Yes. I just re- I relate to it so much. Obviously, we we have had different experiences just inherently, but there there is so much that you're saying that I'm like, oh really? God, yes. I just I'm I know so that.
1: with you. I was also diagnosed with PCOS, maybe. Uh, I couldn't actually couldn't tell you how old I was maybe I was like 15 or 16 Mm -hmm. and I had a a very similar experience so I knew that I wasn't having regular periods since I started getting my period which was around Mm -hmm. 10 Mm -hmm. and so I've had lots of experience like going to a gynecologist trying different types of medication to induce period right Mm -hmm. and when I was diagnosed with PCOS I had a lot of doubts about it actually because I don't think that Actually, I don't have many of the symptoms that come with it. Mm. Um, I do think that my testosterone is very high, though, because I just got off of um, birth control. And (laughs) my sex drive is bananas right now. (laughs) Ah, yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) But I don't have some of the other symptoms um, Mm -hmm. other than the absent period. Right. So that's why I'm like unsure about my diagnosis, but
0: I'm unsure about PCOS to be perfectly honest with you. Also same. I think also it's a catch all. I think it's a catch all horm- like women's hormonal problem.
1: I, I think, think a
0: lot of different things are actually happening and people are all diagnosed with PCOS. And so I really do think there are different causes for maybe some similar symptoms. And that is a huge problem. Like that, like basically I was chasing dieting and thinness for 10 years. Yes. There were a million other like, you know, societal things about thinness that I was also chasing, but I was thinking that I was trying to heal myself. Meanwhile, I honestly think at least a big part of it besides genetics was stress, like really, truly. And like and stress hormones and all of like how that affects your hormones. Did anybody tell me about that? Did anybody 100%. tell me to focus on sleep? Hell no. Not. They told me not. to lose weight and to diet and to purify yeah. my, you know,
1: existence. Yep. So 100% I'm with you. And I am absolutely with you that this was, this is a catch all for folks who are, who have a uterus, who have ovaries, the internal organs that are determining whether or not you bleed or not because that is absolutely my experience. And I read a I read an article about it in um the Fat Studies reader. And in the reader it talks about how PCOS is used as this like catch-all diagnosis actually in order to police our gender. And it's it's part of this like cis sexist project. And cis sexism is is this assumption that uh people who are in a certain body that looks um, like it has you know, breasts and a vulva and like maybe some internal organs, like a uterus or ovaries. Cissexism is this assumption that that person is a woman, mm-hmm. like attributing a gender to that body. And this cissex- Cissexist project is actually trying to uh, police whether or not our body is like performing well under the standards of Cissexism, which is that a body that has those internal organs of a uterus, and ovaries should be producing a period, should be able to reproduce, should be able to like function under heterosexism, which is the assumption that someone who has that body with a uterus is gonna partner with someone who has testes and a penis, and they're gonna produce offspring with that, right? With all those genitals mashed mm-hmm. together. <laughs> but <laughs> and and the project of like losing weight in order to be functional under heterosexism is also. fat phobic project right Right. it's also uh about making sure that the system itself continues to operate without challenging and i'm going to be totally honest with you like i've known that i haven't had a normal period since i was 10 and so for me that does make me question and grapple with my gender identity Mm. like this pcos diagnosis absolutely is a contributing factor to the way that i don't feel like a woman Mm. Um, my fatness is a way that I didn't feel like a woman. I felt like not feminine enough. I felt too bulky and too large because fat does queer the body. Fat on a feminine body can masculinize it. Uh, fat mm-hmm. on a masculine body can feminize it. Mm-hmm. And fat on a non-binary body can push it in a gendered direction, that that body didn't really like have consent about right. which gender, which direction it was wanting to go in. Right. So all of these things absolutely impact my own experience of gender My own experience of like a failed womanhood and also this like disconnection from womanhood in ways that feel good to me, also. Like, actually, I feel liberated from this pressure to need to reproduce. I feel liberated from this pressure that I must contort my body in order to maintain desirable attraction for cisgender, heterosexual men. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually feel liberated. I feel in many ways that my fat has saved me from the many ways that I would have had to conform in order to operate well into in the existing structure. Right. My fat actually pulled me out of that box and allowed me to grow in such a way that I, I have a lot more options now. A lot more than like my family members who are still trying to lose weight, are still trying to get married, are still trying to make sure that they have the ability to reproduce without really questioning like, what does it mean to bring children into a world where there's a climate apocalypse, or where right, right. where coronavirus is going to infect us all. You
0: know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Now I think this is just. I. I just. I really like. I. I relate to it in so many ways because. I. I you know I do identify as a woman. I am cis. I, though I've asked myself, Caroline, can't you just please just be a lesbian? Like, what do you think that would
1: make you happier? I wish I could just delete my attraction to men. I literally (laughs) posted that on my Instagram last night. (laughs) (gasps) (laughs) <gasps> oh so much stress.
0: <laughs> I know and I mean I've, I've had enough bad experiences that I and I do like I what I do den- identify as is a demisexual which okay I just really like it takes a lot for me to be attracted to somebody in real life <laughs> yes mm-hmm. um and because of that I definitely have been like, okay, well, I just need to make sure that I am not like lying to myself or like have internalized, you know, mm, mm-hmm. and anything like, am I, am Biophobia, I just, homophobia? yes, exactly. Sure. exactly. That, absolutely. That was me.
1: Absolutely. I still struggle with it.
0: And I, I really, I was like, look, I, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. I've never had a crush on a woman. Like there are lots of things that point to no, Caroline. You are straight. <laughs> you just. <laughs> but I was like, I really like. I would like play these mind games with myself. I was like, okay, but but Caroline, say it was like the apocalypse and everyone you knew had died. <laughs> Who would you want to end up with? And I was like, a oh, man. <laughs> like I. But I really like, I and and i i think this is because i thankfully am in sort of this like wonderful liberal bubble especially online where i'm sort of given the space to like really figure out who i am and 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 what i want and like what i true, like what are the things that i was forcing on myself because i believed that's what i should want or what a woman should want or and and what are the things that i truly truly want. So I, I think that this is like really important stuff. And even if people haven't had the same experience as you, it hopefully will allow them to kind of ask these questions. And
1: yeah, because our opinions are allowed to change over time. Mm -hmm. I was absolutely that kid in high school who was homophobic. Like, I know that I was homophobic. but my brother has this, like, horrible story of me telling him that if I ever found out he was gay, that I would kill myself. Mm. I know that that has really harmed him, me saying Mm. that to him, because it sticks with him now as a man who's almost in his 30s. So I know I was that kid who actually was, and this is another Dooner exclusive, (laughs) I know that I was in love with my high school bestie. I know it because it still hurts me that we're not in contact anymore. Mm. And the way that I love her, I mean, I will always love her. And we might never get along because she was a very, she is a very different person than who I have become today. Right. But I was that kid who was homophobic in high school, who was absolutely in love with my best friend and was unwilling to admit it to myself or anyone else um and it it took me not just leaving high school but going through almost all of college yeah. and getting into actually a really bad relationship with a, a man who was a lot older than me i was 21 he was like nearly 30 and it and what he was doing is he was taking advantage of my bisexuality so at that time and bi folks have actually a higher instance of things like intimate partner violence, um, mm. domestic violence, and abuse like that. Um, because, I mean, one part, in part, we, t- we are actually the largest percentage of the LGBTQ population. Um, okay. Bi folks are the largest percentage. And uh, the other part is that oftentimes we do find ourselves in relationships where someone is taking advantage of our sexual orientation. And so in this case, um, while I was dating that horrific, this horrific man, Uh, I had also fallen in love at the same time um, with the first woman. I I had allowed myself the opportunity to fall in love with this woman, um, who's, she's still a part of my life. And we met in a women's studies class while I was in undergrad. And uh, it was only during this time that I was able to like push up against this assumption that I am straight because everyone is straight and straight is the best, right? And so it was only through that. It took a long time. I mean, that time I'm telling you about, I was 21, 22, and only now in my early 30s am I finally allowing myself the space to disappoint my parents and my grandparents and much of, I guess, family structures and society by finally dating someone who I've wanted to date for over a decade which is someone who is not a sys Right. It took me a long time.
0: Yeah. And it makes sense because it's a scary world out there. Like it makes total sense why it would take that time to be comfortable
1: with it. Oh, and, and the discomfort is like still coming. Like my sweetie and I, we were out on a date. We both are super fat people and there are some types of PDA that I'm comfortable with, you know, like I'm not going to suck face in public. I'm just, Mm -hmm. I don't have that kind of skin to withstand the judgment (laughs) and the scorn from people's eyes, but like, I'll hold your hand Uh (laughs) and like, I'll hug you from behind and I'll kiss you on the cheek. And like, those are the things that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so we were holding hands, we were walking through, we were, we were in center city and, uh, we walked maybe a block or two to my car. And in that span of time, which must've been six to seven minutes (laughs) um uh while holding hands uh a man walked up to us and said something inappropriate (sighs) um a group of school children walked up behind us and were making pig noises uh a different man was walking up to us and like making a proposal to like hang out later and it's like um what (laughs) i guess we're just not gonna hold hands in public anymore no just kidding that's not (laughs) (laughs)
0: no but like to have to make that choice like okay we can either like show affection and have to deal with all of this or just like hide it that's right horrible you know
1: Ugh, it's the worst (sighs) well where so this is (laughs) (laughs) i'm laughing because I know that you said this was half an hour and I have no problem. <laughs> I with was just going to say like, like, we, this, this like <laughs> could go for three hours. You are
0: such a good storyteller. Like oh, it's just you. all very captivating and like very, it cuts to the core of, of everything in a way that's just like, you just want to listen. So um, I love this. I know that other people will let's, so let's, I guess we should like, I guess, talk about fat phobia. <laughs>
1: Yeah, not that we have
0: not that we (laughs) haven't. But I guess what I'm curious is, um, where what was the shift? Mm. We sort of like, you know, ended a part of the story or like one of the um, branches of the tree at the at the shaman at the Ayurvedic
1: mm. healer, mm. where
0: was the, so like throughout high school for you, were you sort of on board with what your mom and parents were wanting for you and for your body or did you already have a sense of of rebellion there? Where did
1: that shift for you? That is what is so hard to pinpoint um, because I do feel like internally, I was having a different conversation than what I was allowed to have with my parents. Mm. So there was not a lot of space for me to have open disagreement or for me to say, I don't want to do that. Right. Um, with my parents, there was an assumption that of course you would want to be thinner than you are. Uh, of course you would not want to get fat because they had actually really nuanced understanding of, of structural fat phobia mm-hmm. they knew that like not only would my peers um, exclude me i would also have a hard time finding romantic partners and um, being successful in any career so they had an understanding that fat phobia would follow me and, and negatively harm me and so as immigrant parents they're like you know we already have some checks against us uh, why wouldn't you try to like shift your body in a way that would make it easier to move through the world. And internally, the conversation that I was having was like, my body is fucking fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't need to tell me a God thing, goddamn thing about my body, because if it was so unhealthy, would it it not be like collapsing from underneath me? And Mm -hmm. it wasn't because Mm -hmm my parents are from an upper middle-class family. We had lots of food in the house. I had access to um, healthcare, should I ever become sick. Mm-hmm. I I had lots of access to uh, gym memberships and fitness. And so I was working out in ways that was good for my body, but I did not enjoy any of it because it was considered punishment. And- Right, right. Um, I feel like the internal conversation i was having was one of rebellion like you're describing where internally i was um if i was if i had to go to the gym for an hour i would make sure that i was on the treadmill for like uh 35 to 40 minutes and then i would like you know fuck around in, in the locker room
0: mm-hmm.
1: or uh if i was gonna do if i was gonna be on a diet i would make sure that i was eating the way that my parents wanted me to at home but then Creatively finding solutions to eat the things that I wanted to eat while I was outside of the home. And so, like this surveillance culture was also established where it felt like I was living a double life, which is very common with immigrant kids. We feel like we have to live one life at home that's really different from the life that we get to have with pews.
0: Huh. Yeah, that makes a
1: lot of sense. Right. And I think that there might have been one really big shift for me in my early 20s when working with this woman named Lynn Nugent, who was a registered dietitian. She's still alive and she's like wonderful. And if she ever hears this, you know, Lynn, I I love you. And I will always think of you as um, a really important person in my journey and my story because she was someone who told me, like she was looking at my behaviors and she was like, you know, Sonali, you know, bitch, sit down. I can see that you. (laughs) It was like, your mom is paying all this money for you to come to these sessions and for me to talk to you about nutrition and, and dietetics and take your weight and like talk about journaling your food and stuff like that. And she was like, your mom pays all this money and you're not doing any of that stuff. (laughs) Mm. And so she was like, you know, you don't have to lose weight. Right. And I was like, what? Hold the phone. You said what? And it, I remember sitting across from her at this little like little round table, and it had like you know those um that like silicone mold of what one pound of fat looks like and one pound of muscle and uh, and you're sitting across from <laughs> uh, from each other, and I was just my mind was blown because no one had ever told me that I didn't have to. It was right. just like this assumption, right? It's like anytime someone tells you. Oh, you don't have to be straight. Oh, you don't have to be cis. Oh, you don't have to be uh, aspiring towards thinness. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. My whole life has shifted just in that simple statement. So after Lynn told me that, I really have had given myself more permission to use Lynn as a shield. And so Lynn did a really amazing job for me as someone who was, I mean, I was of legal age. I think I was 19 when I was working with her, Mm -hmm. and Uh, that was one of the first times my mom was wanting me to have weight loss surgery and if i think about how much i weighed at that time i don't think that i would have even met the qualifications to have weight loss surgery um but lynn stood in the way and and i have this like email exchange that i i actually recently read because i've been writing um it was for a, a book chapter that i was working on earlier this year and In this email exchange, Lynn actually stands between me and my mom and says, I'm so sorry, Sonali's mom. Sonali has actually never mentioned to me that she's wanted this surgery. And so I don't think that it's a good idea for you to continue pursuing Mm -hmm. um, this surgery with her. And my mom had like some back and forth and was like kind of upset with Lynn saying that. And I think from there, I was really able to shift and take more space within the relationship with my mom. But Um, it was only after discovering fat activists like Lindy West, like Samantha Irby, like Virgie Tovar around, uh, 2010 that, so like really shortly after Mm -hmm. did I finally have like the language to be able to say like, no, my body is fine and you don't need to intervene on it. Um, and like really take ownership of my own autonomy. but. The final, final time that they pressured me to have weight loss surgery was when I was like 25. And that was the last straw. And we haven't gone back since then. And now we talk about, I mean, we're in this in between space right now, me and my parents. It's been seven years since then. And we're navigating. Uh, what I feel comfortable and don't feel comfortable talking about it. But yeah, I say that to name that it takes a lot of time. Like, I feel like the way that you're telling your
0: story, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and this is probably partially because you are a therapist and you understand human behavior so well, (laughs) but there is a compassion and an understanding for why they did the things they did and why they saw things the way they saw things Absolutely. And before. And, yeah. Sorry.
1: Continue. Continue. And compassion, but not without accountability. Right. Cause my mom does this thing now and you know, we're not, we're not on the best of terms at the exact, this exact moment in time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but she tries to frame it. Like, you know, I was doing the best that I could without actually finishing that sentence and saying, but I acknowledge that what I did caused you so much harm. Same. I mean, that's the missing part, right? The Same. <laughs> Same in my conversations yes. with yes. my mom. So that what needs to shift. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I understand. It's, it's, it's painful. And if I, anyone,
1: anyone who's listening, who is considering putting their kids on diets or even talking about weight or weight loss or aspiring towards thinness, please do understand how much more difficult it makes it for us as adult children to maintain good relationships with you. It, it makes it fundamentally impossible for us. Yeah. So don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it.
0: Everyone's life will be so much better. Oh, literally. You'll
1: be able to eat cake without talking about it nonstop. Oh my God. Cake and the cake slice sizes and seconds and icing. Oh God. I just... I could just pull out my eardrums right now.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> the other thing that's really interesting, just based on the way you were talking about sort of the double life you were living mm-hmm. with the with the dieting, mm-hmm. is it makes so much sense to me that you were being forced onto a diet. And so there there, I guess there would be this inherent rebellion of like. Okay. This yeah. is what I'm being forced to do because I, and I'm sorry that I keep like seeing it through my own experience, which is like, really, you <laughs> oh, know, I'm like annoying. But I, I, per, I was never forced to be on a diet. I was encouraged mm-hmm. and I took it on. I like took it on hardcore and I was the one forcing myself. So mm. I didn't have any separation from it to even know that i should have been mad
1: <laughs> i mean i i should say there there were definitely moments where i took it and ran right right um right. i had i had many times where i would experience some weight loss and then um i would um plateau because my right. body was like what the fuck are you doing right But, and so when I would experience that weight loss, I'd be like, oh shit, maybe my parents were right. Maybe I should take this and run with it. And so there are, there are moments, you know, it's even throughout this rebellion where there were times when the external forces won over my internal rebellion. And, you know, there was a time that in my early twenties, my mom took me to like this fat farm type of facility on a winter break between, um, you know, one semester and the other. And. I I know that it cost me 10, it cost my parents $10,000 for me wow. to go to that place for four weeks. Wow. And I know that I lost 17 pounds. I know the exact number because my parents were so thrilled. And by the end of that, I was having a really hard time eating because I was, I, I mean, the way that food meals were happening there in, the, in this like residential facility was, it was intentionally. Um, they were intentionally creating foods in ways that were like reduced, reducing all kinds of minerals and nutrients, like Ooh. reducing sugar and salt. Um, even if I didn't really need a reduction, in either of those things. Right. And so the first like two weeks I was going through withdrawal from salt and sugar. And it was giving me these like bananas mood swings. Oh, really? And by the end of the four weeks I had an eating disorder. <laughs> yeah because I was like, I don't like this food. It doesn't taste good. It's not meeting my needs. And now I'm actually losing weight, which is like, I'm getting so much praise about it. And so if I just stopped eating more, wouldn't that be great? Um, and it wasn't, it was. Wow. Bad. Yeah. So I've definitely, you know, had it carried me away sometimes. Sometimes yeah. I went with the tide. <laughs> and you
0: know what's so, I mean, even beyond just like the fact that that makes sense, that it's, there's almost this like traumatic relationship with food at that point. Yeah. Um, the other weird thing that I don't understand, and maybe there is more understanding about this that I wish I had, but the Minnesota starvation experiment, yeah. where if you don't know what that is, everyone just quickly go look it up, but they were essentially put on a semi-starvation diet mm-hmm. and they lost all of this weight that they weren't even necessarily wanting to lose. It was like part of the starvation and how can we rehabilitate starving, these starving men, they started having body dysmorphia, Mm. which is so fascinating because I always assumed that the eating disorder stems from the body dysmorphia, you know? Oh, but this was the actual, just actually being denied calories yeah. And going into this like food obsessed state that they immediately all became obsessed with food, obsessed with mealtimes, of like, course dreamt about food, but they also That's started comfort. seeing themselves as, as not, as not thin. Like it, it messed yeah. with their brain in a way where they couldn't even see what they really looked like. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I really don't know why, but I mean, in the very least, not eating enough food really messes with your brain, like very truly. Absolutely, but there, it, everything is just so connected, and so it just makes a lot of sense that, like, going into that extreme situation, what what is it? A, yeah. Did you
1: call it a fat? Camp, <laughs> dude, to be honest, I don't know what they would call themselves. Yeah, what I'd do they call like themselves? A residential weight loss facility, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, but it's camp, but oh. camp. Oh my god, no, they were like full grown adults there. there were like, you know, they, they check like themselves in, brilliant people who went there. Like, uh, this one dude was like a famous opera singer and this other person was like a famous photographer they because it cost so much money to go there it was like in oh durham or raleigh north carolina and it was ten thousand dollars to go there for four weeks oh and goodness. people would stay for months at a time That's it was so bananas weird. it is totally bananas
0: meanwhile i think being fat helps singing honestly that's my voice yeah. teacher would always be like just but just imagine that you're fat <laughs> just imagine you're fat and it helps yes. you sing and I was like what it allows you to take up more space <laughs> exactly right? like yeah. they're like breathe. you know, breathe like don't do the thing that everyone does right. where you like try and like not show that you have a stomach and breathe like breathe yes. breathe pretend yes. you have all this mass mm-hmm. and you can like produce yeah. like a huge vibrating sound It makes perfect sense. Keep your body, keep your voice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I honestly feel like I could talk forever, but I guess (laughs) it's four o'clock. So will you tell everyone where they can find you and how they can work with you and how they can get more?
1: Absolutely. And I also want to thank you, Caroline. It is an honor to be on the podcast. I really admire the work that you do. And I'm really glad that your book is out there in the world. I often recommend it to my clients who are beginning their journey to be anti-diet. So thank you for putting that resource out there. Sonali, um, thank
0: you so much.
1: That I, means so much to me. There honestly. are so few resources out there that I can trust and I'm honored to have you as one of them. So thank you. Thank you. you. And uh, folks can find me on the internet. I am on Instagram as the fat sex therapist. and if you have questions, want to book me for an event, you can shoot me an email at sonaliar.com. Love it.
0: And I'm looking at it right now, 101K, baby. <laughs> Keep Verified. <it> <laughs> I got my own tick. <laughs> oh my God, thank you so much. Honestly, it's fun. been a pleasure okay you can go find the links to follow sonali in the show notes of this episode and i hope that you find them and click on them and follow her and what else am i gonna say here uh okay so you know i i won't talk for too long now because this is already a long episode but i do want to remind you or let you know in the first place if you don't know yet that the Fuck It Diet book club, which is my paid coaching program, is going to be running this May and June and it is currently enrolling. And it will be enrolling until May 6th and we begin the program on May 11th. It's an eight week program. You can find out all of the information at thefuckadiet.com slash club. So go check that out if you are interested. And also, if you would like to watch the free workshop that I recorded for people who've read the book, you can go to the slash resources and sign up. It's for people who've read the book. So if you have read the book and you're looking for more, you can go sign up. If you haven't read the book, I highly recommend that you just read the book. I think it, it's a pretty good primer for every, especially if you're interested in the stuff that we're talking about here that I'm talking about on the podcast. The book um, is pretty comprehensive and takes you through what I consider to be uh, all, the, all of the different pieces of the journey. Physical, emotional, mental. Um, lots of writing prompts. And yes, I thankfully like my book. Wouldn't that have been horrible? I was so afraid of that. I was so afraid to write a book that I moved on from if you know what I mean because I've actually created a lot of programs over the years that I've been like I don't like the way I explain it in this anymore and I've like revamped it so I was really afraid to write a book that I that I didn't that I didn't like oh god I was so afraid of that thankfully I like it all right so what can I update you on I have I took all of these questions on Instagram yesterday, thinking that I would do another little Q&A on here like I did for last week's bonus episode, but I don't think that I have the time to do that. So I'm just going to wait for next week's bonus episode to answer all of those questions. Um, If you'd follow me on Instagram, you know that I am currently trying to quote unquote train my hair to be less oily and I have no idea if it's gonna work. And I was so resistant to it, but I'm in this I'm in this like dysfunctional cycle with shampooing. I have really oily hair. I have really straight hair. It looks greasy so fast. it looks greasy in a half of a day. So I wash it every day because it gets so greasy. but apparently, according to the some things that I've read, washing it every day is actually perpetuating that cycle. And it's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of the diet binge cycle. Like we keep putting ourselves on diets because we feel so out of control with food and we think that the only way to control it is to diet and micromanage our eating, but really it's making our appetite even more out of control. (laughs) When I heard sort of like the theory on hair and oil production, that washing your hair actually encourages your body to overproduce oil and then of course then we keep on over shampooing because it's overproducing oil and it's like a cycle that you get into I was like oh no that makes so much logical sense to me but breaking out of that cycle and I've tried before I mean I've tried kind of like half acidly to do it before but I haven't stuck to it um and so on Instagram, I've been talking about how I love to wash my hair. Like, I love it so much. I love to take a daily shower and I love to wash my hair. But it's kind of backfiring on me because I I think I love to wash my hair because I hate how oily it is. And I, I like to just kind of, like, get back to that base level. But it doesn't last very long. So my hair never looks good because before I know it, it's time to wash it again. And it just, I don't know. It just, it feels feels kind of like it's not just it's not the best method like if there's another way I would like that other way but uh it is not simple or fun to let your hair get really oily and see if it's going to like fix itself so basically a lot of people are telling me that I just need to start stretching it like an extra day and let my hair get used to that and then see if I can stretch it an extra day but i had a friend who messaged me (laughs) after seeing me post about it on Instagram and she was like okay I've done this and it does work and this is what my hairdresser told me to do her hairdresser told her to go like as long as she could like five six seven days without washing it to sort of like kickstart the process and then to start doing it every other day for like a month and then to spread that even more. So I have gone now five days without washing my hair and it is a saga. I have been putting my hair in French braided pigtails every day, which honestly I haven't French braided my hair in 20 years, maybe? I mean, so long, maybe just 15 years, but either way, I cannot believe my fingers remember how to do it I actually had someone respond on Instagram and say can you please do a French braid tutorial I was like no I can't I have no idea how I mean I know how but like I could never do a tutorial and I just my fingers just kind of know what to do kind of (sighs) what am I trying to say i'm I'm documenting it on Instagram, so if you're curious, you can follow along there. i The jury is out. I have no idea if it's gonna work for me. No idea. I mean, I'm an oily person. i I, I might this might just be a failed experiment or it could revolutionize my life. Maybe this is the miracle cure I've been searching for my whole life. Um. Yeah. So I'm doing that. I'm going to wash my hair tonight. I am so excited to wash my hair and then I'm going to start doing every other day and just see. And then maybe in a month, I'll do every two days. So like two days in between each wash. I just want to get, I just want to get a little bit extra time out of it because when I like even just the idea that people wake up every morning and like do their hair and go to work, I don't even understand. Like I don't understand how people do their hair is let alone every day. I just don't get it. And I know nobody's doing their hair in quarantine, which is it's not that's another reason why I'm doing it right now. I I mean, I guess I work from home all the time, but this feels like an especially good time. I have no social anything, no social obligations, actually, except for my dad's 62nd birthday tomorrow, which I am going to go to my parents' house, and I don't feel bad about it. I really don't. Um, I'm considering my parents part of my quarantine, and also I haven't seen them in like three weeks, so we have done... I just don't care. I honestly don't. I'm going to m- to celebrate my dad's. Also, my dad is, like, not doing well emotionally. He's, like, losing his mind. So it's the least that I can do to go. And, um, you know, my whole family was supposed to be in Spain right now. It was, like, a special... going to be, like, a special family trip for my mom's 60th. And, of course, we're not. We're not there at all. So my sister and I are, like... Can we, we're like not good cooks at all. None of us, my whole family, no one's a good cook. We're like, can we learn how to make a Spanish dish? I think the answer is no. But right now we still have this pipe dream that we're going to like miraculously learn how to be really good cooks of a foreign cuisine that we have no idea about tomorrow. We're going to like learn on the fly. We're not, we're probably going to like try <laughs> Like draw a picture of a Spanish flag and give it to my dad and be like, happy birthday. Remember how we were going to go to Spain? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just, I'm like overthinking right now because I think I'm sure people are going to be listening to this being like, how could you go to your parents and break your quarantine and endanger them? But I literally live alone. I don't see anybody. I haven't been going shopping. I, i just i i i just they are part of my quarantine and that's just the way it has to be for their sake because they are miserable and they're sad that they don't have any grandchildren and so i have to bring them their granddog that they don't even really care about and that's just the way it is uh Okay, I'm going to I promise I'll end this soon for your sake, but I am still watching my Marvel movies and I'm watching them with my friend. And when I say with my friend, I don't mean physically with my friend. I mean that we text about it and we watch the same movie um each night and then we like discuss whether we liked it or not. So I went through and I watched like the Captain Americas and the Avengers and then he went back and started from the beginning and so I hopped on and I've just been doing it with him so we watched the Hulk we watched Thor 1 again um what else what else have we watched uh I forget I should just look at the thing but uh, we just watched the Guardians of the Galaxy and I didn't I, I hate to say this but I didn't love them like they were fine I liked I like that they spin the MCU in like a more comedy direction but I don't actually think the Guardians of the Galaxy are is that great I'm sorry I know you don't agree with me probably um let me look at the what did I watch okay okay so we watched Captain Marvel because I'm watching we're watching them in chronological order then Then he watched Iron Man, and I had just sort of seen Iron Man. Then we watched The Incredible Hulk, which I hated. Then we watched Thor 1, which isn't very good. Then we watched Iron Man 2, which is okay. Then we watched The Avengers, the first Avengers, which um, I had already seen. And I think it's really good. Oh, no, I didn't watch Iron Man 2. This is so boring. I'm so sorry that I'm like, this is so boring. Um, I watched Iron Man 3. Then we watched Thor 2, which actually was pretty good, considering how bad Thor 1 was. It was a lot better. Then we watched The Winter Soldier, which I've now seen three times because, you know, I love Sebastian Stan. My love for Sebastian Stan has stayed strong. I watch videos of his interviews every day. Makes me feel alive. Okay. Then we watched The Guardians of the Galaxy. And then tonight we're going to watch Avengers Age of Ultron. And then Ant-Man. And then Captain America Civil War. And then Black Panther. And then Spider-Man. And then Ant-Man Wasp. And then Doctor Strange, which I haven't seen any of those except Black Panther and Civil War and then Thor Ragnarok which I have seen and then The Last Avengers okay that's so boring I don't know why I'm saying this to you but basically I think they're fun it's a fun activity it actually makes my days go by really quickly because I have a nightly activity that's like with a friend even though I'm not with this friend we talk about it all the time so it's this like fun project we have And, and then we take like a night off to watch Bravo. <laughs> and it's a lot actually. I actually feel a little bit overwhelmed by my TV and movie schedule right now, which which I don't know what to say about that, but it's certainly keeping me occupied. So if you want to jump on with the viewing schedule. Actually, maybe that would be really fun. Oh, I should have done that from the beginning is like have everybody on Instagram like watch with with me. Uh okay. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I know that this kind of this ramble was a true ramble. It was kind of all over the place but that's 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 the way that's the way of my world and that's all I can wow 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 wow. Maybe the oil on my scalp is like sinking into my brain and like flooding it and like slowing down my synapses. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. All right, I will talk to you next week with a bonus episode and it's probably gonna, probably gonna be a Q&A. The Q&A that I thought that I'd be doing right now that I really don't have the time to do. Alrighty, see you later. Bye-bye. Oh, please rate, review, and subscribe if you like this podcast, five stars. Thank you, it really does help. Bye.